Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. It's in a very appropriate capstone to what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, and I'm excited to bring our mission statement home this, this morning. We'll do one more sermon next week where I'll try to bring it all together, but today we're going to conclude our looking at our mission statement, Cultivate, Grow, Renew. And we had talked about cultivation as the call of the Spirit for you and for me for personal transformation, that what we need is already inside of us. We only need to discover that. We saw last week this call to growth, the call to be a church that we cannot do this journey on our own and to do exactly what we are called to do, which is to build a spiritual house built upon the confession of faith that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And today we come to renew. And I want you to know, again, as I have have walked for the first time through this mission statement and tried to think deeply about it, I am inspired by the wisdom here. This is a mission statement I can wrap my arms around. First of all, there's real subtlety in this final word, renew, and I'll come to that in a little bit. But it's the brevity, really, that invites imagination and creativity as we imagine what, how these words might shape our life together. And so for renew, for me, calls us to consider the wider world of which we are a part. I think that's where you were headed when you picked this world, that yes, we build a church, but that church has a call to the world. And in my mind starts to form a series of concentric circles. Yes, there's this small circle of us, a larger circle that is the church, and an even larger circle today that is the world with the cross at the center of it all. And that's the image I want to use today as we think about what it means to renew. But here's the funny thing when churches start going to the world, is, there is a, there's a built-in temptation to be drawn in one of two directions. This is at least what I've observed. Maybe you've observed something different, but in my observation, having had had one foot in an evangelical world for most of my childhood, having had one foot in a mainline Protestant world for most of my adulthood, I have watched churches want to pull in one of two directions as we stand here as church. Either the church wants to lean heavily into piety and devotion to sort of lean down to cultivate, if you will, Or they try to lean up to this idea of renew in the the sense of being an organization that is for the world, a service organization, if you will, whether it looks more like a Lions Club or a political party. This is the inherent tension I see in congregations. Which one do we do better? Which one is more important to us? And congregations and denominations either pull into themselves or they explode out into the world. Maybe you felt this tension. I believe this tension is very real. But it doesn't really matter how we answer this because it doesn't matter which way we go. Either way, it short circuits the work that Christ has called us to do. And in a moment when we're all wondering what's going on with church, we're wondering where did everybody go and why doesn't people come to church anymore and what is the future of the church, asking all these questions, I think here we have a really compelling answer to what's going on with the church. We've short-circuited the entire experience of faith because the cross that is the center of cultivation, that is at the center of your faith and my faith, is the same cross that calls us to renew in the wider world. 
This is precisely what James, the brother of our Lord, implores us to do. He writes these very famous words. He says, pure religion is this, to take care of widows and orphans and to keep oneself unstained by the world. He says, yes, true religion, true faith is going to reach way down into your soul. And it's also going to reach long and hard into the world. It will do both these things. If our religion is what James says, pure. And it is in this spirit that he says, be doers of the word. Always do both. Always at the same time. Each pole being necessary to the other. We cannot be the church without deep lives of devotion. In the same way, we cannot be the church unless we are passionately in love with our neighbors. Regardless of which way churches lean, this short-circuited faith, whether it is down to personal devotion or upwards to some notion of social justice, regardless of how, which way we might lean, what is surprising is that often we arrive at a similarly, a similarly, surprisingly similar, disheartening conclusion about the world. Whether you are a personal piety person or a go into the world and fix the world person, we end up in the same space in terms of how we think about the world. Whether we believe the world is a godless place or we believe it to be fundamentally unjust, informed by that message, we begin to tell ourselves that the world to which we go, the world outside of these walls, is devoid of goodness and virtue. We start to say, the world is a terrible place and we must go fix it. In this way, I will blame one of our most famous forebears, Luther. I will blame Martin Luther, who wrote in the most famous, sermon he, uh, most famous hymn he ever wrote, Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. Rarely will we say this out loud. Rarely will we say the world is a bad place. But it comes out in the way that we go into the world. And sometimes the way we talk about the world. Sometimes we say, well, no one comes to church anymore, which is this way of saying, well, nobody believes anything anymore. We say stuff like, well, you know, kids these days. We say, oh my gosh, can you believe what's on TV these days? It's terrible. We talk about those people who are, those people who are trying to destroy our neighborhood or people who are trying to destroy our country. Regardless of what it is, when we believe that there is no goodness and no virtue out there, what we experience is not faith. What that creates in us is fear. And out of that fear, we go. We feel like we are sent as the church with a special mission to go and save the poor and to save the misguided. And I hear that whether your cry is, you need Jesus, people, or your cry is, no justice, no peace. It is a form of spiritual colonizing. We are the ones in power, and we go to fix the world. And in both instances... It is a little surprise that folks reject the message that they are both sinful and ignorant and need to be fixed. None of us are all that thrilled about being told what is wrong with us and how we do everything wrong, right? In other words, natives don't like to be colonized. Both responses draw the church into unhelpful lines and boundaries between us and them. Who has God and who doesn't? Who is just and who isn't? And in all the very best ways possible, friends, woe to us when we believe such a thing about our neighbors. And woe to us when we believe such a thing about our God. 
Because this dour message that has sort of seeped into the church in this moment is in no way, shape, or form the message that we have been given through the cross of Jesus Christ our Lord. Our faith doesn't teach that at all. The cross, friends, is not just the center of the church. Our faith says that in the cross of Jesus Christ, the entirety of human history has been turned on its head. Our conviction is that the cross is not something limited to personal piety, whether you buy in or not. No, our confession is that Jesus Christ has overturned everything for all of human history. And from that cross has radiated God's love and mercy to all people from that first Good Friday. Put it another way, God, friends is not just a resource we tap into here and we distribute as we see fit. God is already in the world. God is already active in our community if we have the eyes of faith to see. But if we don't have those eyes, surprisingly, we're in good company. Because I'm here to tell you that there are moments... And boy, this passage from Matthew is one of the worst to preach. But I was going to try it anyway. Jesus didn't quite get it at first either. We read the story of the Canaanite woman, right? And we're like, oh, yeah, you know, there's always these, you know, always being labeled. There's people from this place and that place. The use of the word Canaanite is bizarre because at the time of Jesus, there were no Canaanites. There were no Canaanites. There was no such thing as Canaan. It's roughly the equivalent of us stepping out and saying, oh, look, look right there. There goes a confederate. There, there are no confederates. We, we, they, we don't exist anymore. It's that kind of, it, what by calling her a Canaanite woman, the author is intentionally drawing on historic biases and prejudices. The reader, you and I, are, to, are intended to be surprised that a Canaanite woman would come and seek healing from Jesus. And she comes, and she keeps bursting through the barrier. She's crying out to Jesus, says, Jesus, come heal my daughter. And she breaks through barrier after barrier. She breaks through Jesus' silence. Jesus is kind of ignored. Like, eh. And then she goes to the apostles, and the apostles are like, can you please do something about this? And Jesus is like, nah, I don't think so. I'm sent to the lost, lost, people of, the lost sheep of Israel. He knows what his mission is, right? And then finally she gets to Jesus, and Jesus perhaps sympathetically says, look, I know your people, and I'm not, I'm not here yet for your people. Like, there has to be somebody who can help you other than me. Jesus has this laser focus on his ministry, but this woman is still having none of it. She turns it around on Jesus and says, and says no, I, please heal my daughter. And Jesus, in one of his least favorable moments, one of his most difficult things, says it's not appropriate that I should take the food that I have and give it to the dogs. Dogs was a word that was used to describe the Gentiles at that time, and it's not a particularly flattering one. There's some ways to try to soften it. Probably not, gonna, probably not terribly convincing. But you know what this woman says? This woman says, even this dog will eat your scraps, Jesus. Even this person who doesn't have the right skin color, doesn't have the right gender, doesn't come from the right place. Even this, as you put it, Jesus' dog will eat every scrap that comes off your table because you are the one. What faith where even Jesus did not expect it. And he cries out in this great, 
show of joy. He says, great is your faith, Canaanite woman. And what Jesus himself discovers is that faith, hope, and love were active and alive before Jesus showed up. What Jesus discovered is that there's all, God is already moving in places that God wasn't supposed to be moving. And so in the same way, we do not go to the world to give them faith as if there was none. But rather, we go into the world to find faith and to feed that faith that is in the world and to find it in ourselves. We can be surprised where we will find faith. I had an opportunity to sit down with breakfast with someone this morning. We were talking about a potential you know, project that he's working on and something that's of interest to me. And we got to talking about mission trips. I know many of you have been on mission trips before. And I'm sure many of you have said from time to time what this gentleman, a lovely gentleman, said back to me. He says, you know, you know, we went down there to help, but it was, shoot, if we didn't get more out of it than they did. All of us have said, yeah, all y'all laughing. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And all I want to say is, well, of course you did. Did you really think that God wasn't there? If you went to bring God there, that was rather silly because God was already there. That's the genius of a church mission that doesn't seek to save per se, but to renew. It acknowledges God is already there. So if God is active, then we need to think differently as a much larger worldwide church about our approach to renewal. Some of the best teaching on this, the church is playing catch up on this a little bit. Some of our best teaching comes from people who do community organizing. And I read an article this week that taught me, said that charity, whether it's church or nonprofits or you know, whatever, said charity often meets their communities at their point of need. We identify a need, and then we try to solve or fix that need. And so it starts from a place of scarcity. There's something missing in the world. But our faith tells us that's not how Christ came to us. Christ doesn't come and tell us what we aren't. Christ was always reminding people of what they were even deeper than their pain and then their suffering. Jesus met people in their weakness. Yes, Jesus is a healer. But Jesus always reminded them of their strength. And when Jesus saw the good, he was able to leverage that for better abundance. Consider the feeding of the 5,000 very, very briefly. It requires, yes, Jesus to take those loaves and fishes and to spread them out and for there to be 12 baskets full. We know this story well. Yes, it required Jesus to do that. It also required those loaves and fishes. Jesus was smart enough to say, what's already here in amongst these people? And that was what he took and divided it and fed 5,000. There was already something present in the community. It just needed to be put to use in the service of God. And so when we go to the world, we go to a world that is already loved by God and is already equipped for good. When we leave the walls of this place or any place that we call a community of faith, what we will find in the world is faith. There is desire. There are resources. There is leadership. In the words of Wendell Berry, what we need is here. We then, as the church, are challenged to engage our communities, not only at their point of need. Meeting folks at their point of need matters, but it is provisional. The best expression of our faith 
invites us to meet our communities at their point of strength. Christ calls us to love our communities as we have been loved, with all of our flaws yet worth giving our life for. For all of our community's flaws, there is still profound beauty. For all the things that our communities need, what we need is already here, and that too is a gift of God. And that's the wisdom of renew. Our communities don't need torn down and rebuilt our communities don't need hellfire and brimstone. We're all suffering enough as it is. What our communities need is renewal. Or if I can reach back into my own history a little bit and grab a word and bring it forward, I might even say what our communities need is revival. Revival simply seems making live again. Our communities simply need to rediscover what God has already made them to be. Christ at the center of them. Christ is redeeming all things. We are no better or worse than our community. We're simply a part of it. You're like, well, then why are we doing this church thing? Well, friends, there is a place for us as a people of faith. Because what we bring is a certain kind of vision to see through the eyes of faith what our communities can be as the kingdom of God breaks through. A vision which is cultivated through growth in our hearts and growth as a particular people that we call the church. All we do is bring vision to say, you know what? God is active here. Let us find where God is active and let us join you in that work. Which is precisely what Jeremiah implored his people to do in these most famous of verses which Doug read this morning. Jeremiah implored the people. He says, you're in exile right now, but please don't draw boundary lines between you and the exiled land that you are in. Don't do it. He begs them. He says, yes, we have a slightly different lens on which we look at the world, but don't let that lens force you to shrink inside of yourselves and withdraw from everybody else. No, let that vision, let that vision expand your mind to wonder at what is and what could be. And he says, so I want you to sit in your communities and love them as if they were your own. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens. Have children. Seek the welfare of the city. Jeremiah pleads with them. And it is in that context that God reminds Jeremiah and the people, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for harm. Plans to give you a future and a hope. That future and that hope doesn't come as we judge our communities. That future and that hope comes as we join them and together discover how God has already blessed them and join them in the work of creating a place that we call home, a place that Jesus calls the kingdom of God. Friends, in our mission statement, let us remind us that all of this, cultivate, grow, renew, this future that we envision, this future that we want to see happen, this future isn't just coming for us faithful. It is coming for all of us or it is coming for none of us. And so we are called to envision that it might just be coming for all of us and that God might already be there before we get there. And in that, let us find joy and let us find hope, not just for ourselves, but for the people that we call neighbors and friends. And yes, take it all the way out, the people that we call enemies. Kingdom of God's coming for them too. So let us be about the work of renewal and discover God is far more at work than ever we thought or imagined.